Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So first I want to congratulate you on a day well spent. Whatever it was that seemed to happen during your day, of all the things you could have been up to as human beings, uh, this was actually a really good use of your time. And probably a lot of different things have happened today for you. I'm just guessing because first day of retreat, uh, but I'm wondering how many people here felt uh, sleepy sometime during the day? Look around there. I'm wondering how many people here felt restless at any point. The mind is restless, the body is restless. Yeah, pretty good. How many people wondered what they were doing here? (laughs) A little doubt creeping in now and then, yes. Um, So yeah, there's a couple more we could go through, but you get the idea. And uh, I want to confirm for you that you're well on the map of human beings uh, on their first day of attending to the body and mind. This is part of the very uh, well-worn path of development, uh, of growing up as human beings, you could say. Uh, And so much so that even these ones that I mentioned earlier, this sleepiness, restlessness, uh, doubt, are uh, among the top challenges to meditators that have been established as the top challenges for 2,600 years. So mentioned by the Buddha to those who were practicing in 600 BC area in a different continent, in a different time, wearing different clothes, uh, with different kinds of buildings, but still the body and the mind remain largely the same for humans. So I'm honored to get to speak to you tonight uh, to give Dhamma talk, and the Dhamma talk tonight will be uh, talking to you a little bit about what we're up to here. So some perspectives on what we're doing here. Uh, some advice from uh, some experience of being on retreat myself. And some things for you to consider uh, as you go on in your practice. So first, since we're talking about this as a Dhamma talk, and for some of you, you might not know what this uh, means if you're new. Uh, Greg and Kamala uh, have given some uh, meanings of this, some translations of this, in the opening, uh, which might seem already so long ago uh, last night. So about uh, the truth of the way things are, is one translation. Uh, It's the body of teachings of the Buddha as well. Uh, One of the translations that I appreciate uh, very much is the translation of Dharma as nature, Dharma as nature. I think this was also mentioned last night. And so in this way, what we're doing in Dhamma practice is learning to recognize ourselves as also part of nature. We're trying to learn and understand the laws of nature, uh, which includes this body and mind system, 
And then we're trying to uh, live in accordance with them. So when you live in accordance with the laws of nature, then you have a more harmonious life. There's more uh, happiness. There's less strain, stress, suffering, difficulty. And when you try to go against the laws of nature, the truth of the way things are, then you get into trouble. So then you have uh, difficulty. You have problems and uh, all kinds of grief can come your way. So this translation of Dhamma as nature is um, comforting to me too because you know, the Buddha was actually a human being who went on a quest to understand life and particularly his interest was around understanding suffering, human suffering, old age, sickness, death, difficulties that come to all of us uh, in our lives and that are inescapable no matter how wealthy you are, how famous you are, how good looking you are. And in his quest, he tried learning some kinds of meditation from other teachers. He tried practicing in one school, mastered that, didn't have the answers he wanted, tried practicing in another school. And then eventually uh, came to uh, an answer himself through his meditative practice. So a moment in which he was awakened or enlightened is called. And in this moment, he saw into the truth of the way things are. So it wasn't that he concocted a complicated philosophy that now you have to study and memorize and get tested on. It's actually that he saw something about the way things operate in our own body and mind system, in the experiential world, in nature, which is still the way that they're operating, and which is something that each of us can discover through practicing mindfulness, through paying attention. And so this kind of awakening, this kind of freedom is thus possible for all of us. There's something particularly um, poignant about this to me because the moment does not have to be a special moment to see this in some way. And the moment can actually be a sleepy moment or a restless moment or a moment of great light or a moment of dust or a moment of heat or a moment of cold. And it's always there. It's always possible for us to be learning in this way. So to bring this um, down to earth for you in some way, so to speak, the, the understanding that we're developing is something that we can learn from our uh, experience. And we're practicing through mindfulness um, this different way of knowing. You know, mindfulness is like a, a, a different way of knowing than your intellectual knowing. As Joseph uh, talked about it this morning, it's this way of uh, direct knowledge, direct understanding with awareness. So it's, it's helpful to consider sometimes that we have learned things about how things work in the past. So we've learned things about nature and we've learned to live in accordance with them. So one example of this uh, is the law of gravity. 
So when you're born, uh, babies don't seem to know about the law of gravity. And sometimes you'll see them uh, experimenting with it and learning about it. Uh, maybe when they're uh, like toddlers or maybe between one and two. So they sit in their high chair and then maybe they'll uh, toss something off like this, you know, and see it fall to the ground. They're like, oh, look at that, right? So then what happens if you do it on this side, right? Like, the same thing happened. And then what happens if you're not looking and you do it? Like, yeah. Same thing happens. So then after a while you get the idea. You try and place something in midair and it's likely to be drawn to the ground, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if I didn't understand this law, if I didn't live in accordance with it, uh, there would be broken glass and splashes of water and a big mess here, right? So I live in harmony with this by understanding how it works and just placing the glass there. And so once I understand that law, it's like I don't even have to know, you know, what's the mathematical formula for that. I don't have to know, uh, is somebody running that? And if so, who? Uh, it's not personal at all. You know, it's just some aspect of the way things work. And if, in fact, sometime, you know, by uh, mistake, and this happens to us even when we have mastered gravity, you know, something falls like that, gets knocked off, you don't need to stress about it. You know, you understand that, that pattern already. So you can just pick it up, put it back, uh, without the added dimension of personalizing it. Uh, without the added dimension of like, why me? Why now? Why did that happen? You know? So all of this takes a lot of stress out of life. You know, to understand the way things work and then to live in harmony with that. To live in accordance with that. So in some way, uh, we are doing that here. So we're uh, watching the spoons fall <laughs> in our body, in our mind. You know, we're uh, observing the way things work and uh, learning from them. And much of the time, they're going to fall uh, and clatter to the ground, and there are going to be messes and spills, uh, as evidenced by your experience of suffering really. Um, but this is all part of the learning process for us. So uh, take heart that uh, as we pay attention, as we see things, these things playing out, uh, as we're in the, the process of Dhamma practice, as opposed to just purely suffering more and more, uh, all of this can be uh, part of our path to awakening. So sometimes it's helpful to have a few uh, frameworks to check it out. You know, what are we supposed to be doing here? And yeah, what's some, what's some patterns, you know, like this, things are drawn to the ground inextricably, however, for whatever reason. What's, what's some things to check out in this way? So fortunately, the, uh, the Buddha gave us a lot of different frameworks that we can use uh, as part of our experiment, as part of our learning and as was mentioned in the opening by uh, Greg and Kamala, this is all a go check it out yourself and see. So I'll share some of these with you. And some of them may be uh, ones that from sort of advanced common sense, as Kamala said, uh, it makes sense to you. And some of them might be a little bit radical for you. So hold them with, uh, yeah, maybe just curiosity and openness and see, uh, see what you think as you go along in the retreat.
So when I was on retreat, we get a chance to examine and to learn about what is this thing that we call life? What is this thing that we call myself? And what is the nature of uh, experience? And usually we think we have a pretty good idea about that. Like, here's me, here's my clothes, here's my chair, here's the people I'm talking to, you know, that's how it is. Here's who I am, here's my name, uh, here's my title. When you start to pay attention in a more granular way, uh, you could say that what we experience as our life is actually a sequence of quick experiences that happen uh, through our senses. So as humans, we have uh, five senses that you learned about in uh, kindergarten, probably. So seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing. And according to the Buddhist teaching, we also have a sixth sense. The sixth sense door is the mind. So what we consider our life is actually a rapid succession of different experiences through these sense doors. Uh, So there's a sight, there's a smell, there's a thought about it, there's a sensation in the body, uh, there may be a taste, there's a thought about that. You know, there's a a quick succession of these experiences. Uh, Run together quickly, it makes everything look very solid. And so then we have this perception of, here's me, here's you, here's my life, this is who I am. We have some opportunity on retreat to sort of start to peel this back a little and see how these things are constructed. So why is this helpful? One thing is that it starts to reveal that things that appear to be solid are not really as solid as they seem. So we can start to get this, uh, this sense through direct experience um, with our own body and our own mind. And it could be that we would be okay if some things were not as solid as they seemed, like tables and chairs and stuff, but the ones that we're most concerned with is this, (laughs) ourselves, right? And as we pay attention and notice that there is this lack of solidity or... uh, sort of core permanence in this uh, experiential uh, reality, particularly of ourselves. One aspect that becomes clear is that we can't really maintain anything in this world to some level of satisfaction. We can't maintain our body to be exactly the way we want it to be. And we can't maintain the weather to be exactly what we want it to be. We can't maintain... Uh, sounds, we can't maintain thoughts, we can't maintain emotions. So all of this is kind of just slipping through, slipping through, slipping through. Going, going, gone. Everything, all the time, in some way. When we learn to live in accordance with this, when we understand this deeply, we can live a happier, more harmonious life. And when we don't, it's kind of like we're trying to fight against gravity, place things in midair all the time. So it's just that we're we're missing some deep understanding about the way things work and 
again, very poignantly, we're going about in this world trying to be happy, you're trying to find safety, uh, refuge, trying to maintain some sense of well-being. But we keep looking for it in places that can't ultimately deliver that. Now also along the lines of these um, sense doors, you know, I said this life is this rapid succession of different sense experiences and um, there's a way in which because we don't understand that everything is changing, our baseline strategy for happiness and well-being is uh, seek pleasant sense experiences. Uh, And we're basically doing that all the time in ways that are not even uh, at the level of consciousness. So we have a little discomfort in our uh, arm or face and immediately we go to adjust it. You know, wipe this, scratch this. Nothing unethical about this, right? Nothing inherently wrong about it, but uh, something about the discipline of our practice helps to reveal this. It helps to reveal that this is the way that experience is unfolding. And it helps to reveal our basically doomed strategy for well-being that revolves around lining up only pleasant experiences from here until death and possibly after. So you can check this out and see what it seems like for you. Our assistance in this, our our tools in this, you could say, are cultivation of different aspects of mind, of one of which is um, mindfulness. I started practicing, um, yeah, maybe about twenty-seven years ago now. Uh, when mindfulness is a little bit less of a star than it is now. It was a little less famous. It hadn't appeared yet in the New York Times and uh, various magazines. And So uh, there's a lot to be said about mindfulness. I'll say a little bit about it now. And um, even as I say, talk about it, I'll say that many of the things we talk about here are things that it's difficult to describe in words. And yet, uh, you know, I'm doing this for an hour now, so you'll forgive me for (laughs) trying to describe in words many things that uh, it's difficult to describe. So in the uh, teachings of the Buddha, when he talks about this uh, sati, is the Pali word, mindfulness, is often described not as something that you do, but more as something that you are. So a state of being, you could say. And some of the phrases related to this are about you know, entering into mindfulness, abiding in mindfulness, um, cultivating, establishing oneself in, uh, strengthening. Uh, mindfulness is actually a feminine word in Pali. So it's this, uh, you know, this quality of presence, of paying attention with uh, a sensory clarity. So in this way, knowing uh, what is happening in which sense door uh, in a given moment. And in some ways, as much as possible, not interfering in this flow of sensory experience. Or if there is an interference, then knowing that interference itself. 
uh, as it is, for what it is. So it's cultivating a lucid awareness, a clear awareness, a knowing of experience. So as I say this, you know, interfering in the flow of sensory experience, um, you know, what does that mean? Um, and one way of, of noticing is that is when there is a, a push or pull, kind of energetic push or pull that's going on uh, in the flow of the various sensory experience that otherwise is just happening. So this usually can be experienced in the mind, like a a grabbing for, a pushing away, something like that. And this is another um, doomed strategy for dealing with uh, the world of the senses. So I'll give you a, a metaphor for why this is. So I uh, was teaching just before this in uh, Gaia House, which is kind of a sister center in uh, England. And I came back a week ago, and it's a long flight from California. There. It's about an 11-hour uh, flight to England. And as happens sometimes, uh, this dimension of uh, unreliability and unsatisfactoriness was manifesting in the airplane world. So mm-hmm. Uh, my flight was delayed by like 14 hours and then, uh, you know, various dramas happening. Um, so eventually, you know, when you get there at the end of a long flight, it's like everyone finally is there waiting for their bags. And um, I've seen this happen many times in the airport before. Like people are tired and um, waiting for the bags to come out. The conveyor belt starts moving. And then uh, someone takes a little step towards it. You know, inching towards seeing if their bag is there. And then because of that, everyone else also takes another step, inching towards it, right? And then someone starts to lean to see if their bag is coming. And then that results in everyone else also leaning, you know. And pretty soon the entire crowd of people is kind of converging on the uh, conveyor belt in a kind of um, stressful, competitive, um, uh, like, herd slowly um, moving in. And... The thing that's, that is helpful to notice about this is it doesn't make any of the bags come out any faster. <laughs> you know? It has actually no bearing on when your bag comes out or <laughs> how fast the conveyor belt moves or any of that. Right? And yet it's easy to get caught up in that, you know, sort of habitually, and uh, in this case with some uh, peer pressure along with it. So you could start to notice in this way... Uh, when that's happening for you, even here on retreat. So when there's kind of a leaning, a leaning into the next moment. Sometimes you could notice this in your uh, walking meditation. Uh, You're walking to the end of the path and there's sort of a rushing to get to the end of the path as if something's going to happen when you get there besides turning around and coming right back. So it's good to have a sense of humor about you know, observing this pattern um, that's there. This pattern of, of moving towards or sometimes um, pushing away. You know, this kind of like back and forthness that comes that actually doesn't really uh, impact the flow of experience. But it's like the best guess of the unawakened mind as to how to deal with an uncertain world. So this, uh, this leads me to some uh, advice that I want to give you, some um, 
entering retreat advice. And some of you who are on the month long last year may have heard this um, acronym that I made up last year, which is uh, CHAIR. So there's five different uh, aspects that I want to talk to you about, about entering into retreat. So um, the five are uh, continuity, humility, arrival, investigation, and renunciation. But I'm actually going to talk about them in an order that's uh, out of the order of CHAIR. Um, but CHAIR is a better acronym than ARHIC, which is the... <laughs> what is the actual order I'm going to do it in, so you'll forgive me. But Arhik might be more memorable, I don't know. So the first one is arrival, and it's good to be very kind and very patient with yourself as we enter retreat. It's good to be kind and patient with yourself all the time, but particularly in entering uh, this new environment. So it takes some adjustment. You're in a different environment. You're moving at a different pace. For many people, you were very busy before you came here. You could find yourself, all these things we mentioned, sleepy, restless. There's a momentum of mind that carries forward. All the stuff that you were worrying about, thinking about, you thought you left it at home. You're excited to come on retreat, and then you find that unbeknownst to you, it snuck into your bag and seems to have shown up in your mind. Yeah. So this thing about arrival, actually taking, taking, some, uh, taking some time to allow yourself to arrive. And this goes also for the people who uh, have been here. So it's about uh, 16 of you who have been here from the Metta retreat, and then the arrival may be the arrival of the new gang the new community, and the arrival from shifting from metta practice into uh, insight, into vipassana. So then also the mind shifting from this uh, constant resting in this cultivation of loving kindness into loving awareness, which could be just a slight shift. It doesn't have to be like such a radical shift uh, in terms of the sense of the presence. It could be just tuning into a loving presence instead of using phrases specifically in order to cultivate that. So allowing the arrival in every moment and noticing when there's a leaning out, a pushing. Sometimes it's just habitual. Sometimes it's when there's something that's difficult that's going on. Something unpleasant going on in your experience. Something painful. Sometimes it's just when there's something happening that's not what you like or not according to your script or your ideas. So many people here uh, have been on retreat before and uh, probably you sign up to come on retreat because you remember the good parts of the last retreats you've been on. (laughs) So then you come here and you're ready for that samadhi, you're ready for that... uh, Concentration, the joy, uh, the beautiful shining nature, fully tasting your tea, all the stuff you remembered from the last retreat. You take your seat in the hall, ready, set, go. And then what happens? 
who knows? <laughs> I'm not even going to say what happens because it really is just unfolding in every moment. But I can say that it usually is not unfolding according to your script, according to your ideas of it. And there can be a lot of suffering, see if you recognize this in your experience, from comparing either what's happening right now with some past retreat, what's happening right now with your idea of the retreat you should be having, comparing what's happening right now with your imagination of what the person next to you is experiencing, or imagining what someone up here is experiencing, or the Buddha, or... So just being very kind and allowing yourself to arrive. And in that arrival, allowing the body and the mind to show up as it does. All of it is fair game for mindfulness. All of it is fair game for awareness. Awareness does not need the body to be a certain way or the mind to be a certain way. And in fact, every moment that is not to your liking is actually revealing the Dhamma. So it's revealing what I was describing before about how our body-mind system cannot be maintained to our satisfaction. So you could label this if you want, dukkha, or label this uh, dhamma. But when these things happen, uh, see if you can remind yourself, like, oh, this is not like a mistake. It's very easy for us to think, this is a mistake, that I have this knee pain, um, that I'm sleepy, that I'm obsessing about uh, what's going to be for dinner, Uh, that I'm worried about where I put my shoes. And you might think, oh, if not for this fill-in-the-blank, my retreat would be good. And that fill-in-the-blank could be an external thing, like the guy next to me breathing loudly, or it could be an internal thing, like how sleepy I am, or my back pain, or this or that. So the good slash bad news I have for you is what I said before, that that which we need to see in order to be completely free is there in every moment, including in the back pain, including in the breathing heavily neighbor, including in the turmoil of our mind and hearts. And our resistance to meeting that experience, to knowing that experience, doesn't make it go away. See if this is true. Not wanting your experience to be what it is doesn't make it leave. Hating your experience also does not make it leave. So I said this before, I I feel like sometimes when I'm on retreat, it's like, um, you know, you're in the Dharma cafeteria and you get something put on your plate and then you might be like, oh, I want what they're having. Like, I don't want this one. I want, I want what that guy's having. That looks better. But then you get a second scoop of the same thing. Boom. <laughs> and you're like, I don't want this now. Third scoop. Boom. <laughs> so uh, this is another Dharma principle I've discovered is that you have to eat what's on your plate before you get something else. 
So, okay, arrival, A. <laughs> um, the next one is really is renunciation, the R, renunciation. And uh, we talked about this in the structure and setup of this retreat. There was a beautiful uh, ceremony of renunciation this morning when people uh, gave up their cell phones. And we were talking at um, the meal about how uh, it's kind of a modern version of akin to when um, the Buddha left his palace and he went off to meditate. Uh, his uh, friend and charioteer and accompanied him. And then the Buddha actually cut off his hair. He had this long hair. And he took off all his jewelry and he gave it to him. Right? This was in his renunciation and said, like, don't follow me and take this back. Right? And then he stepped over this river and he went into his new life. So those of you who did your cell phone renunciation, it was like uh, the Buddha didn't have a cell phone to uh, cut off of his uh, <laughs> hair like this, but I know it feels sometimes like cutting off your hand these days or cutting off a piece of your mind. But renunciation is really at the heart of the conditions that can lead to awakening. So both externally simplifying your life in the way that we have coming on retreat. And I want to honor that it takes a lot of courage to do this. You know, even though we haven't given up our hair or uh, clothes, yeah, we've let go of a lot of the known comforts of home. We've let go of uh, objects and experiences that we can control. We've let go of being around people that we know We've let go of uh, speaking and communicating. And yet it's this kind of renunciation that allows us to go deep, you know, that allows us to see that which we need to see to be free. So the renunciation that people um, most ask you about when you leave retreat is often about the silence. You know, that you, uh, what, like, what was it like to not talk for 10 days? Like, how was that? And I often think it's, it's kind of funny that people uh, focus on that because the silence is really the kind of like the wetsuit that you put on that allows you to go deep in the water. The, the renunciation of communication, the simplifying this way, is like the, the tank and the, the scuba outfit. Right? But actually what you get to see when you go down there is the amazing underwater life that you couldn't see from the surface. But because people don't know about that, they ask you about the wetsuit, you know, <laughs> when you come back. They don't know to ask you about the coral and the fish and the eels and everything like that. So another aspect of this from renunciation and arrival, you know, similar to this putting on a wetsuit and, um, you know, scuba is, when people have the suit on and they're going into the water, they, they actually just fall backwards into the water from the boat. And so I encourage you, if that speaks to you at all, to consider this, both the retreat itself, like a falling back into the Dhamma, you know, into the truth, into nature. Or even in each sitting, you, know, you take your posture and don't literally physically fall back, but you know, in your mind, like letting go. Yeah. Rest with whatever is here. You know, bring the courage to meet whatever shows up in the mind-body system. So renunciation is also an aspect of uh, cultivating uh, samadhi, or collectiveness of mind. Uh, concentration, 
uh, often is translated as. And this is one of the things people often want when they come on retreat and often are frustrated that it's not coming as fast as you want it to. So another uh, translation of this samadhi is um, indistractability. And I like these, you know, collectedness, indistractability, because uh, there's a way in which you can look at the cultivation of this collectedness as a renunciation, so as a non-doing. Meaning, like you sit here, and various, you know, thought trains will go through your mind. And you can see if you can let go of getting onto them. You know, renounce this uh, pull of this uh, fantasy or reliving this TV show. When you're doing walking practice, you can see if you can renounce the urge to look and read that guy's T-shirt you know, <laughs> or check out the lizard. Right? It's okay if you do, but I suggest that conducive to this collectedness, to this indistractability, uh, to concentration, is uh, maintaining some kind of uh, focus, and that means um, letting go, sort of knowing what to say no to. And it could be a saying no to things, or it could be a saying a deep and wholehearted yes to that which is your object of practice. Uh, in this case, for today, we've been with the body, and knowing there is a body, knowing there is a body in sitting, and knowing there is a body in walking. So allow that to be your complete, wholehearted place of attention. And see what happens if when other things come up, you can let them go. Uh, renunciation. And, uh, kind of counterintuitive uh, uh, teaching is that you can renounce and enjoy. Renunciation actually brings uh, joy, brings enjoyment brings happiness and well-being. Okay, moving on in our acronym, H, humility. So the structure of the retreat uh, encourages that, and uh, yet it doesn't hurt to mention this as well. So the humility is a quality of heart and mind that, uh, interestingly, has not been called out so much directly in the teachings of the Buddha. And when I reflected on why this might be, I think it's because in uh, Asian culture, uh, you know, certainly at that time, but uh, definitely now as well, uh, there's a big emphasis on humility. So it didn't really need to be called out in the same way. And this is something that's taught to children, you know, how to be humble, how to not put yourself uh, up above others, how to be part of a community, how to be part of a group. So, but now that the Dharma practices come to uh, the West and to uh, America, uh, where we wave giant foam fingers that say we are number one and so on, uh, mm-hmm. I think it bears uh, mentioning a little bit. So some of the bowing that we do, it's optional for you to do this. But even as you take a posture of body, 
that's of bowing, if you choose to take refuge. It's a way of letting go of this idea of me in some way, or this uh, putting myself forward. Also part of the lack of communication, the silence, is that it kind of cut out this whole level of you having to communicate who you are all the time. Like, this is me, this is what I do, this is where I live, this is what status I have, right? Gone. In some ways, we're just human animals here, all together, uh, moving around, and engaging in a practice of trying to be present in our animal life, doing very simple animal things. Sitting, walking, eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom. That's about it. So notice when the mind kicks up uh, other things. Mind doesn't like this. Mind is used to like, here's who I am, this is the story of me. I'm like this. You should know this about me. Sometimes you'll notice this as uh, things actually start to get quiet. Suddenly from nowhere. It's like as if sort of a press office starts turning out press releases. Like, (laughs) I'm like this, I'm like that. Imagine yourself telling stories about yourself to other people. Nobody's listening. (laughs) It's just the mind, like, kicking out. So you don't need to uh, worry about that too much. Just notice that as sort of a, a phenomenon of mind, you could say. A function of mind that's playing itself up. But try not to get caught in it, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Take it with a grain of salt. And allow yourself in the practice to enter with humility as much as possible to each period, you know, each sitting, each walking. Notice the mind that says, I know what's going to happen next. Walking is so boring. I know exactly what walking feels like. I've been walking for decades. Why are we doing this? So, rest back. Settle back into simplicity. Try to come at it with this kind of curiosity of mind and interest. So this leads to the next one, the I, uh, investigation or inquiry. So I noticed this uh, morning at the end of the sitting, Joseph said, um, like, have fun (laughs) at the end of the uh, morning period. And um, um, sometimes teachers will say that to you, and sometimes I see the meditators looking like, what are you talking about? Like... (laughs) I'm slogging away in the meditation minds. How can you be telling me to have fun? So one of the keys, I think, in, in making this fun and interesting is investigation. You know, is this curiosity. As soon as you think you know what's going to happen, then it's boring. You know, like, yeah, breathing in, breathing out, body. Yeah, yeah, there's a body, right? So that's not very fun. <laughs> that's not fun at all. That's dreary. Then you start counting the hours, the days. Then it's like a prison sentence. Yeah. 
And notice when that happens that all that's happened is a state of mind has arisen. Investigate that state of mind. Oh, this is boredom. Oh, this is knowing mind. This is the mind that knows it all. This is what it feels like. It feels rigid. It feels closed in. It feels like no possibility. Feel what it feels like uh, in the heart. Feel what it feels like in the chest. And notice the sense of contraction that's usually there from that. And as you notice that, notice how even that changes and moves. And this too is not you. This too is just part of nature. Uh, This is just an energetic phenomenon arising and passing away. And there you are, you're back, beginning again. So notice all the stories that you have, like, uh, I've been practicing for X long, and I've been to this many retreats, and I'm like this, I'm like that. Try to drop it all and enter in with as much freshness and curiosity as you can. What if you just arrived in a human body on this retreat? What if you never knew what oatmeal tasted like or what it was like to walk or what it was like to wash your hands? Do you really know what it's like to wash your hands? I bet there's some moments you've missed in that. So pay attention. And in this way, it actually can be paying attention for fun to be as close as you can to experience. So in this way, being on retreat can be actually a very beautiful opportunity. Like life as a living ceremony. Usually we're in a rush to get from here to there. So we may feel like, I don't have time to feel what it feels like to put on my shoe. But now you do. So what does it feel like when you first put your foot into your shoe and your slipper? What does it feel like your foot on the wood or the carpet, on the stone? What does it feel like when your foot is in midair? What is the quality of the air that you're breathing when you're inside and outside and in all different areas? There's actually so much to pay attention to. And if we can approach it with a sense of curiosity like this, an interest in being close to the sensual experience of life as it's appearing in unexpected ways, so much can reveal itself. So the last one in this acronym is going to be continuity, C. So what this means is as much as possible to allow yourself to fully immerse in the field of the retreat. Now if you're new and it feels like, wow, that seems like a very, very tall order, uh, then 
okay, for each sitting, then try to maintain continuity as best you can. And if it's possible, you could even take each period, sort of morning period, afternoon period, evening period, as a period of continuity. So during the morning period, there's a sitting, then there's a walking, there's a sitting, there's a walking, there's a sitting. So during that period, you could uh, take a renunciation vow, let's say. you know, As much as I have the urge to go rearrange my socks or uh, do this or that. Now let me see what it's like if I just try and maintain simplicity of sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting during that period with continuity. And even the in-between, as I mentioned, when you go to the bathroom, putting on your shoes, opening doors. Uh, those who have been here for some time uh, before uh, know this too. Could look for, like, yeah, what's the areas in which I sort of lose attention? You don't need to flagellate yourself about it, but just gently allow it to sort of seep in as the time goes on. Allow awareness to seep into all the corners This is not meant to uh, establish some kind of oppression of uh, endless mindfulness or something like that. Um, But really that there's a way in which everything that we do can be a beautiful ritual act, can be meaningful, uh, can be something that we pay attention to. And give yourself the opportunity to do that since you have the space and time here. Even your work practice, too. For that, you probably are actually trying to accomplish something. Um, But still, try to be present as you're cleaning. Try to be present as you're chopping as best you can. And these practices are all ones that will also help carry forward into your uh, daily life when you go home from here. So arrival, renunciation, humility, investigation, and continuity. It's not something you have to memorize as an acronym. Uh, But if any of that is helpful to you, particularly in inspiring you to have the retreat be a place of uh, play, of learning, I encourage you to experience this. Check it out, the things that I've mentioned and the other things that will be mentioned by others, too. So I've been talking some about the kinds of insights that are possible, the kind of um, thing that we can learn about the Dhamma uh, on retreat And our practice both is helpful for the retreat itself, but also, I say, as learning a way of life that will serve us when we do leave the retreat center and go to our regular life. So a couple things I mentioned about that. 
Um, one is the, the early morning sitting and the late night sitting. So many times people uh, think like, oh, I'll go on retreat and that'll give a good like kickstart to my daily practice. I've been wanting to be more regular and uh, stuff like that. So for most people, the time that they have to practice in their daily life is usually early morning or late at night. And it could be that conditions are not totally ideal in those times. I.e., you're a little sleepy, uh, maybe a little cold or a little hot, uh, a little cranky, maybe. Uh, So my advice is come anyway. And then you get to practice sitting with tired mind, walking with cranky mind, uh, listening to chanting (laughs) with the mind that's about to fall asleep. (laughs) But uh, particularly a plug now for the the late night sitting with evening chanting, uh, the chanting itself is something that can be very energizing um, and inspiring. And when uh, Greg did the introductions of all of us, um, because he... uh, is well practiced in humility. He did not plug so much about himself, but uh, he's been a monk uh, several different uh, times and uh, learned chanting in different monasteries. And uh, he's going to teach you how to chant um, as well as if you just want to, you can just listen to the chanting. Uh, so I highly encourage you to come. I think there's a um, there's something that's conveyed that could be uh, as beneficial or even more beneficial than the Dhamma talk that you've heard this evening uh, right now. And if that seems cryptic, just come and see. (laughs) One of my favorite uh, quotes about practice comes from uh, Bruce Lee, the martial artist, who says, under duress... We do not rise to the level of our expectations, but we fall to the level of our practice. So we're practicing here for that which we can learn here, but also preparing ourselves in some way to live a good life, to live a life of integrity, uh, to live a life in which we're ready to deal with whatever it is that gets dealt to us. The crazy world is still spinning. We need people who are prepared, who have good hearts, who have a stability of mind, who have integrity, and who have cultivated the kind of discipline and wisdom that you're doing here. So thank you for your practice here on behalf of all humans and also all animals, uh, those you'll meet in the future, those who you're affecting right now. And the ripples from our practice continues out in all these different ways that we don't expect. So congratulations again on your first day. Let's sit for a little moment together.
can take a moment to appreciate ourselves for our efforts today. We can take a moment to forgive ourselves for anything we thought we did wrong or messed up on, including falling asleep or itching or eating the wrong amount or anything else. can hold in our heart all those who have supported us to be here, who are holding things down at home, at work, taking care of kids and plants and jobs. We share the benefits of our practice, wish well for all of them. May we all be peaceful and happy. May we all be strong and healthy. May we all live in safety from inner and outer harm. May we all grow in wisdom and in love. (laughs) 